Welcome to the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. I'm ABC's Rick Klein, joined today by ABC's Shoshana Walsh and ABC's John Santucci. And this is definitive proof that John Carl doesn't really play the open music because John Carl isn't with us today, but we will fill in. Uh, but but guys, this is the transition like none other. Uh, there's a scene right now going on at Trump Tower where uh, if you walk through the lobby, you might run into Floyd Mayweather. You may run into Ted Cruz. You'll definitely run into Rudy Giuliani uh, and, and Jeff Sessions and the rest. And, and the, the gang is all together, John. It's like a candid camera, though, Rick. I mean, <laughs> there, there is a live camera in Trump Tower. Anytime somebody's in there, it's like caught on candid camera. It, it's so crazy right now. And then the building that, you know, we'd been in for so long that's usually open to the public, surrounded, shush, like a fortress, that nobody can get into that building anymore. It's crazy. Right. The first time a president-elect lives in a skyscraper in Manhattan and they have to, you know, they ha- they have to have the security around it. But the lobby, I mean, never mind all the people that you mentioned, also the people that work there. Right. <laughs> the pool is watching Tommy Hilfiger walk in and walk out every day. Just because he's there. And, and it should be noted that this is actually where the government is being formed. This right. is where the White House that will take take office in January is being formulated. Donald Trump has uh, almost he's basically secluded up in in Trump Tower in his in his apartment in his office. He came out what twice, John, in, in, since since the yeah. election. Go to Washington and to sneak away for dinner. Other than that, he's what, what's going on in That's there? That's it. I mean, you no. Know, for Trump, though, you have to understand that is uh, his home, his office, uh, anything and everything Trump has ever wanted is in that building. He's got multiple restaurants. They have a Starbucks. Everything will be okay if there's a Starbucks <laughs> there. But for anything Donald Trump could possibly want, he's in that building. And, you know, look, there were many times during the course of the campaign that if he wasn't there, he'd be going out to a Trump property. And we know that for the weekend, that's exactly what he's going to be doing, heading out to New Jersey, where we now know he'll be meeting with Governor Mitt Romney. But it's been constant meetings in Trump Tower, a lot of negotiations, a lot of conversations also about you know who is going to fill this cabinet. And Rick. to get into that intrigue, you you had a source, I believe, that referred to it as like a Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. We've already had a purge. All the Chris Christie people that were part of the transition are gone. Right. Uh, and now they're, they're, they're backfilling a lot of these positions. It took them a while to even get the paperwork in order. They have a hard time finding names. What is going on and, and how... How surprising is this, given the campaign that we just came off of, what, what we're seeing so far in this transition effort? I, I mean, honestly, I don't think it's that surprising at all. I think we saw a campaign that was really a very small group of people running the shop. Obviously, that same group is now running this transition effort. There are no new players that have really come in to the Trump world yet. I mean, just look again, as Shush said, the running list of people coming to Trump Tower today. Jeff Sessions, Rudy Giuliani, Mike Flynn, campaign, campaign, campaign. Kellyanne Conway, Steve Bannon. It's been the same group that's been around him. But the problem now is that they now need more people to move this process forward. And and I think a big sign of that is that Mike Pence, Vice President-elect Mike Pence, is now put in command of the ship. He is the only guy who is close to Donald Trump that knows Washington, that has enough people, that has enough of the legacy at least to go pull and fill these 4,000 jobs. And you mentioned, Rick, the purges. I remember during the campaign, there were two purges, high profile changes of changing of the guard. And each time there was shock, there was surprise. And there was the conventional wisdom that a winning campaign 
would not do that. <laughs> right. Well, that was wrong. We didn't. So, did we say that? I don't. I, we don't we rec- did. We record those we analysis. Did. We I, don't, I don't believe it. But it, the other, the other thing. I mean, the other thing. There's about a hundred things. But another thing that makes this unusual is the role of the family. So you have the the adult children, particularly the three eldest children of Donald Trump, plus at least one of the in, uh, the in laws, the son-in-law Jared Kushner, who are playing just outsized roles. And, and John, you covered the campaign from the start. Those the kids have always been around. And they've always been a major influence. But it does seem that they have even more influence now that we're down to this small circle that's deciding on who the top aides and advisors are going to be in the White House. Donald Trump has three executive vice presidents of the Trump Organization, Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump, and Eric Trump. Those are the three people intricately involved in this election process. And then you add in Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, of course, Ivanka's husband, who was on the campaign trail with him, often seen as the silent operator of the campaign. And now, of course, the reports that he may be considered to join the White House in some sort of way. So when you look at the way that the transition is going, again, it's not that surprising because you look at how the campaign has been built. But these are four individuals who obviously have a deep loyalty to Trump, big for him. They are the only people that have not been fired over the course of the campaign because you can't fire your family. But they have been the ones that have been there to help build it out, build out this infrastructure. And really, if you look at the most successful operation Trump had, it's when the kids stepped in more. They were the ones that you know were the reason Corey Lewandowski was pulled out. Paul Manafort was brought in to make the campaign more serious. And then they also led the second charge of changing this campaign up, which was getting rid of Manafort and installing uh, obviously the winning team at the end here between Kellyanne Conway and Steve Bannon. And we should be clear that for all of the disarray and the disorganization uh, going on behind the scenes that we've reported on extensively, they're actually not behind mm-hmm. any any of the the existing schedules. Now it's very it's unusual that a, a president elect would have had a fully formed cabinet by now. President Obama it took him a couple of weeks. In fact, he took office with a couple of vacancies. So we're not quote unquote behind schedule in any any measurable sense. But still, there's a sense of this 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 is real, and they're just not where they need to be in terms of actually filling out the government. We've heard that from multiple folks inside and outside government. Shush. And there's also the concern. I mean. Listen, we're talking about all these high-profile cabinet picks, but there's a lot more. There are literally thousands of jobs that are going to be open in January. They have to fill those, too, not just those high-profile cabinet positions we're talking about every day. So one one thing I want to hit on also is is some of the names that are being floated right now for potential jobs because we remember the team of rivals that uh, that goes back to Lincoln obviously and there was a lot made of that with President Obama in, in staffing his cabinet with Hillary Clinton among others. But hat tip to Chris Donovan, our great re- uh, researcher mm-hmm. and colleague here. This is not a team of rivals. This is a team of enemies. When you talk about Mitt Romney, Ted Cruz, Nikki Haley, Rick Perry, these are folks. Some of them ended up endorsing and voting for him. Some of them didn't. But they were on record saying not just I don't prefer Donald Trump as my president, but he's a phony. He's a fraud. He's a liar. He's a cancer on conservatism. So my question is, John, is this is this flattery to make it look like we're, he's talking to the broad swath of the Republican Party? Or is it possible that some of these folks actually end up in the Trump cabinet? Well, I think look as an example. We can look at the people that have gone up to Trump Tower already, Nikki Haley, uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio here in New York, that Donald Trump was 
awful out on the campaign trail. Yeah. Just attacking constantly. A 62-minute meeting. If you don't like somebody, Rick, I don't think you talk to them for six minutes. <laughs> I, I mean, I know you don't talk to me sometimes. No, definitely but, not. But I think that when you look at Trump and what he's trying to do, and look, I, I've been around him in small settings. I've seen how he works a room. He does try to pick people for information. And I think one thing that Donald Trump has said is that he is not a politician. He has not been actively involved in running a government. So he is going to ask people who have. Look, Mitt Romney did run the state of Massachusetts. He has run for president. He does know the right people. He also did a lot of transition work. He, he was sure. a lot further along than the Trump people ever were. I, the, the Romney White House that never was was a fully staffed functioning operation right. that, that almost <laughs> took over the government. Right. So, I mean, I, I, I think that that is something that Trump needs to tap into, that mm-hmm. wealth of information, because clearly Kushner doesn't have that. Right. But I think that I want, I want to just jump on what you said before, John, is that about his family, clearly the characteristics of trust and loyalty are the most important for Donald Trump above all other uh, resume fillers or, or characteristics. And so that's why I would be so surprised if somebody like Mitt Romney would end up as a team of rivals type of candidate, uh, cabinet. I, I would not see Romney join the cabinet. You know, I think the two people right now, if you could look at who's meeting with Donald Trump, Mitt Romney, Ted Cruz, I don't see it. Yeah. But, but, you know, again, you just have to step back with everything that's happened in this campaign – as Trump himself has said, who knows? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you really don't know until it actually happens. And, and you mentioned that 62-minute uh, meeting with Mayor de Blasio. This is a person that likes to be liked. He likes to mend fences. He likes to get over rivalries. And, and that has to be taken into consideration also. Oh, so, I completely agree. So let, let's talk about the man himself here because uh, one of the many, many things that are interesting about this is that, as we said, We've seen him twice in public since uh, since his, his victory night speech. We saw him go to Washington in kind of a quick trip and kind of say the right things with President Obama at his side. We saw him steal away and ditch the press corps and, and end up having a nice steak dinner with his family. But other than that, he's just been in there. As you, said, as you mentioned, John, he's got all the creature comforts. But what? why do you think in his mind – this is the this is the transition period. I got to tell I I thought this was a guy that would do a big victory press conference, a big maybe some public events, something to get out there. He loves the feedback of the people being holed up in Trump Tower. Sure, that's that's great and all, but you know, go go bask in in this moment. What do you think is go, is going on that he that he's been as quiet as he's been? You know, look, Rick. I I think same as you. Everyone expected there to be some sort of a victory tour, right? I mean, we we were all plotting out where he could possibly end up going, but I think. Go back to election night, and as we reported, um, when you saw the numbers going Trump's way, he had been down in headquarters with his team, watching the results, enjoying it. And as it looked like he was going to win, he excused himself from that party. He went upstairs to his apartment with his wife alone, and as one aide described to me at the time, he needed a moment. Mm -hmm. And this was starting to set in. I think right now – he is starting to realize uh, the weight that is going to be put upon him as the commander in chief. You know, it's very different running for office and obviously governing. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I think that that conversation with President Obama was, I hate to say, a wake up call, but perhaps mm-hmm. a reality check as to, you know, this is what the job's going to take. These are the issues you face both here and abroad. And I think right now he is being surrounded with people that are trying to pump that reality into him so that come January 20th when his hand is on a Bible, he's ready to go. 
you really saw that all over his face when he was sitting next to President Obama. He didn't say much, but exactly what you just said was all over his face. So the, the issue that, that I think is, is interesting to delve into as well is what he's done with, with Twitter uh, in this, because he's, he's made clear that however disconnected he may be right now from the, the world at large, he's watching, he's reading. He went on a tweet storm about the New York Times. Uh, he, he put out a statement, of course, rebutting some of what they said, at least indirectly, about Senator Sessions and the, and the story that they had. Uh, and it does seem like he's just watching cable all day and responding to that conversation. Uh, what, what do you think we're learning, John, in, in, about what President, uh, President Trump will be like based on what he's doing with social media behind closed doors? Well, look, again, I, I hearken back to what the campaign was. He is someone, as just said – cares a lot about his image, cares a lot of people are saying about him. And, and, you know, look, he has said that Twitter is a great platform for him. He can instantly hit over 10 million people with 140 characters. And in his mind, it's quickly able to set the record straight. So I think that we are going to see a president um, that is going to engage directly with people and he's not going to stop. Listen, I was stunned. Um, that for that day after he came back from his meeting with President Obama, that he was commenting on the protesters yeah. outside his building. Yeah. I was shocked. Then the next morning, he toned it back. Then he hit the New York Times. Then he hits the false reporting. It's like, gee, wait a second. Is this November of 2016 or November of 2015? Are we back <laughs> in the primaries? Because that's what it felt like. Yeah, and, and he's and he's gone. He's shown all sides of, of himself uh, through this. So we're going to be back in a moment. We're going to track down Jason Miller uh, of the of the Trump campaign communications director, who's uh, been in and out of Trump Tower all week. We'll be right back on Powerhouse Politics. Hey, it's Rick here. We have another new podcast from ABC News to tell you about. It is Popcorn with Peter Travers. He talks to the biggest Hollywood stars, and I mean the absolute biggest. They stop by to talk about their new films and open up about their experience in the business. Again, that is Popcorn with Peter Travers. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the show. Joining us now on Powerhouse Politics is Jason Miller, who's the communications director for the Trump campaign, now intricately involved with the transition. And Jason, walk us through what's going on. Describe the scene for us at Trump Tower. We're seeing people coming and going through the lobby. We're seeing occasional tweets and photos coming out, and we're, we're hearing from you guys. But what what is, is the hour-by-hour, hour, the day-by-day day like for Donald Trump as president-elect right now? Well, they've been pretty busy days ever since he became the uh, the president-elect. And he's had a series of meetings where he's going through and meeting with folks who not only are potential cabinet picks, but other people who have great ideas, people who have been successful in business or education or other walks of life, maybe military, uh, but then also meeting with people who are potential uh, staff and administration type hires and really figuring out the absolute best team that he can put together. Now, some of these folks are coming through a definite uh, cabinet level um, uh pickups, I guess you could say, and others are people who come through and maybe just want to suggest ideas. And the one other thing I'd, I'd mention, too, is there also I could see a scenario where some of the people come through end up being announced almost as teams, or maybe there could be uh, if the president-elect likes uh, multiple people very much uh, for a similar cabinet agency, you might announce one as a cabinet member and the other one is a, a deputy. And so I, I think this really goes to the, the business aspect of how Mr. Trump has led uh, during his, his professional career. He finds the best people, he gets them in place, and he has really good judgment to that. And now we're going to go build a government that can do the things 
things he promised to do. So are these days very regimented or are they free-flowing? Does someone show up like a Floyd Mayweather and just get ushered upstairs? Or is it is every minute, every uh, every hour, Bill de Blasio spent more than an hour with him the other day? Or is it all set up in advance or is it is it more free-flowing than that? So to the Mayweather thing in particular, I will tell you this is probably the, the first time I'll ever be off message and admit that I was cranky that I did not get the opportunity to meet uh, uh, Mayweather. <laughs> this is, is someone who went to Mayweather Pacquiao, someone who's been to three different Mayweather fights. And I got to tell you a, a funny story. I'll get back to your, your question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so I'm, I'm talking with Steve Bannon, and, and one of the funny things about Steve is sometimes he, um, you know, he gets names mixed up, and he's uh, and he's talking. He's like, oh yeah, it was uh, you know it was, it was great. The, Mr. Trump met with uh, the uh, what's his name Mayfield. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you know the guy, and they're and they're, they're posing with with the fist. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, Mayfield, I'm like, what, what do you, like, I'm looking at the schedule, I'm like, wait, you know, he's like, I'm trying to picture a boxing pose with some cabinet, you know, member, and he's like, oh, you know, uh, Mayfield, the, the boxer guy, I'm like, time out, time out. <laughs> Are you talking about Floyd Money Mayweather? He's like, oh, yeah, 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 my, uh, yeah, uh, Floyd Mayweather, the guy who's, who wins all the fights. I'm like, he was in this thing, <laughs> ten, 10 floors above me. And I didn't get the invite. So, so did and you, you could just tell? It was like it was like a kid finding out that you know that like Santa wasn't real. <laughs> but, um, but 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 did it, you run upstairs? Did you hit twenty six and try to get up there and see if he was still there? What did you do? They were gone. It was sad. I would have <laughs> I, if they were still up there because I, I would have I would have hit the the super secret express elevator and gotten up there. But no, it was it was gone. But no, but, but in all serious, uh, these are very structured, regimented days um, that Mr. Trump has. You know, started uh, to I believe the first formal meeting was Henry Kissinger. Uh, their meetings. Not necessarily every hour on the hour, uh, but uh, whether it's hourly or every 90 minutes uh, with a whole progression throughout the day, they're very structured. Uh, they're senior uh, members of the team, including uh, chief strategist and senior counselor uh, Steve Bannon, Reince Priebus, who's the incoming chief of staff to the White House. Uh, they're in most of these meetings, uh, as are, depending on what issue area uh, the folks coming in might represent. They might have additional advisors. But these are very structured, regimented meetings uh, because, look, we have to put this government together. We have a very finite amount of time to do it. And Mr. Trump is not someone, as you know, really dilly-dallies around. Um, he's the president-elect. He has a, a government to build along with the vice president-elect. Uh, and uh, that's exactly what they're doing. Well, and, and talk about that for a second, because really the timing right now is what everyone is focusing on. Of course, uh, those pesky reporters that are downstairs in the lobby of Trump Tower waiting for somebody to get the, uh, the head nod from Donald Trump. But really, you know, it's been just over a week. Obviously, you know, if history shows us anything, uh, President Obama did not start naming appointments until three weeks um, after uh, he won in 2008. Where is your head at right now, Jason? What do you think is a realistic timetable for when we're going to start to see some news coming out of Trump Tower of who will be building and be a part of this uh, cabinet? Uh, You know, I think you could see news Pretty quickly, uh, I think almost any time now. Just so no one rushes off to to go and tweet anything and make it sound like it's it's overly imminent. Uh, you know, I think that uh, the president elect uh, is very close with knowing who he wants to go with it, so some of the positions. But I also think too that the the paramount uh, his mission statement here is to get things right on the front end. To make sure you go through and, and really kick the tires, make sure we're getting the best people who not only pass all the appropriate vetting backgrounds uh, and that have the uh, the energy and the enthusiasm to go and tackle the task at hand, but also make sure that they really fundamentally 
get this this message of change and draining the swamp and doing things differently than they've been done before. And and I, a lot of that really has to do with a, a meshing with the president-elect. Um, do they... Uh, do they both have the same objectives? Is it clear that uh, that they're going to uh, push for the same things? And so when the president-elect feels that he's gotten it right, he's going to be the one who makes the decision, then we'll take it from there. Jason, take, take us, if you can, into these meetings a little, little bit. Are people auditioning for roles? Are these like big interviews with the boss? Uh, look, when you come to meet with the president-elect, obviously it's a, a heightened level of uh, – uh, you know, it's a high level of, you know, it's, it's not just a casual drop by to see, you know, what you think about the, the football game from last week. I mean, it's a, a very, uh, it's a, you know, it's, as we know, with the president elect, he, you know, he's a, a fun guy, but, but it's also, I mean, he's, he's about business right now. And this is about making sure we get the right people put together. And um, so you know, some of the meetings are different. Some of these people, uh, he's had longstanding relationships and he's known for decades. Uh, some of these uh, folks he's meeting for the first time. Uh, and so in that sense, maybe the people who are coming in have a good sense of uh, the president-elect just from the media relationship or reading about him in the paper, seeing him on TV and, and speeches and such. Uh, but maybe he hasn't had the opportunity to spend the one-on-one time. Uh, and so from the staff end, uh, try to make sure that we're uh, helping to recommend uh, the best people. And obviously, there are a number of committees and different teams that are working on these, a number of experts uh, that have been working to, to put lists together and people um, get people prepared to uh, be presented to him in advance of um, uh, the actual meeting. So I'd say it's, uh, you know, it's structured, it's serious, and there's a clear focus. I mean, we know that we have, you know, we have some time to get it right, but we don't have uh, too much time. We have to get at it. Some of the names that we've seen floated, um, people that have showed up even in Trump Tower, people like Nikki Haley, Rick Perry, Ted Cruz, Mitt Romney, the meeting coming up this weekend. I know, of course, you worked for Senator Cruz uh, during the campaign, Jason, but could you really see Donald Trump going with some of these people who were so harshly critical. Mitt Romney called him a phony, a fraud. I mean, this 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 is not normal, just banter in a campaign. These were real bitter words exchanged. Do you, do you think it's actually possible that some of these vanquished rivals or bitter enemies end up in the cabinet? Absolutely. And I, I think that the president-elect is going to go and take the, the, the selected people that he thinks will do the best job. And that's one of the things I've been the most impressed about following last week's election is and not just the, the, the measured tone, but the approach, uh, but also the uh, acknowledging the gravity of uh, the job that's in front of him and the, uh, the challenges that our country faces. And he wants to get the, the best people in there. And, and, and I think it's really shown a, uh, I think that's something that a lot of people would really have a lot of respect for is the way that he said, hey, these guys may have been political rivals. Maybe we butted heads before. Uh, but you know what? Uh, now we're on the same team, and we got to go and lead the country. So Mitt Romney, Secretary of State, that could actually happen? Oh, I'll, I'll leave it to the president-elect to actually go and say who is on shortlist for uh, particular offices and then ultimately make his decision. So I won't go and qualify meetings uh, uh, on his behalf, but uh, I think it's a great opportunity to uh, learn from someone who's been very successful in business himself and who's really seen the, the world stage. Uh, and I think that uh, uh, Mr. Romney, or Governor Romney, definitely has some uh, good ideas to share. So one one thing I want to ask you about is the family influence here, because we, we've been we've been hearing a lot about about how the, 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 the both Eric and Don Jr. and uh, Ivanka, as well as Jared Kushner, are involved. What is that dynamic like? Are they are they involved in the meetings themselves? Are they sitting in on the meetings with Mr. Trump? Are they are they just hanging around? Is it almost like there are other there are staffers who are working like you are on this? 
Well, I'd say that the family is an important influence uh, on the president-elect. And what I mean by that are these or some of the folks, whether it's Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, who's a, um, a, a driving influence in the campaign and one of the uh, one of the smartest and uh, most brilliant people I had the opportunity to work with uh, on the campaign. I've, I did not know Jared prior to uh, joining uh, Mr. Trump's campaign back at the, the end of June, but he was someone who fundamentally had Mr. Trump's back, who was look out for him, not just as uh, the candidate or the guy whose name is on the yard sign, but also uh, as family. And I think that's, uh, that's something that family members can bring to the table because they, they fundamentally understand what uh, Mr. Trump wants and, and who he's looking for is these types of teams that he's trying to build. But I, I think a lot of the, the news coverage has been overblown. I mean, the family is there to be uh, a support structure. And when they're called upon, uh, they definitely offer their opinions and uh, and help out. Uh, but I, I think some of the, the news reports that we've seen have really been uh, overblown. And I think usually those are driven by folks who are on the outside looking in and maybe they're uh, bitter that they're uh, not being considered for certain positions. I think that's unfortunate, but you know, I mean, that's kind of politics. I mean, that's why you want to drain the swamp and and get rid of some of these people because uh, that's that's not anything that moves us forward. So then, Jason, what is your impression then, as far as when we get through this transition period, how involved will the family be in a Trump White House? I think they'll be available to the to the president for however he asks them to to be involved. Uh, I think the family members will be uh, people that he'll seek their advice and counsel and look for their opinions. Uh, I mean, you know, whether it's Don Jr. or Eric or Ivanka, um, all very successful and uh, strong leaders within the, the Trump organization. Uh, you know, I as we've said or said before, I think it was yesterday. Uh, you know, there's. Jared's not uh, applying for some specific formal position in the White House. I think they're going to be there to be a, a support structure uh, for the president. And as he uh, calls on them and asks for their advice or uh, for their thoughts on things, I think they'll be able to provide it. And I think they're uh, very smart people who have a lot to contribute. Jason, it is clear that um, that Donald Trump's children are, are close with him. They have a, a close relationship there. They advise him. But during the campaign and in several interviews, uh, they were asked about that wall between the Trump organization and a Trump White House. That wall seems to be coming down a bit. If, as you say, they continue to advise uh, when he's in the White House, how is that wall going to remain there? I mean, are they going to leave the Trump organization if they if they do advise uh their father in the White House, or, or how will they maintain that split role? Well, I, I think you're putting maybe a little bit too formal of a construct to it. Um, I think that they're I mean, they're either his children or his his son-in-law. Uh, they're, obviously, they're going to be available if uh, he calls and wants to get their their thoughts or opinion on something. Um, but uh, they're of course going to be a, a support structure, um, and I think that's really when he wants to get their opinion on things. They'll. Uh, They'll offer it. Finally, Jason, as you know, the tradition is that the new Congress convenes actually before the, the inauguration, and there are a series of, of confirmation votes and hearings. They could even start as, in December. Are you confident that Mr. Trump will take office with a fully formed cabinet? I think he's going to get it right. I think that's the the, the main point. Uh, whether uh, every single cabinet position is in place, or if uh, or if most of them, are, you know, that's. Uh, I think success will be defined by having the right people in place uh, and getting it right on the front end, as opposed to going by uh, uh, rushing it and and having people in there that we're not sure if they're they're the right pick. All right, Jason Miller from the Trump campaign. Now the transition efforts. Good luck to you. Congratulations and uh, thanks for checking in here on Powerhouse Politics. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jason. 
So, guys, first headlines out of that. Uh, absolutely a possibility that, uh, that that some of these former rivals, vanquished foes, end up in the cabinet. That's pretty striking, John. You've seen that this is a, this is a campaign and a, and a candidate who always valued loyalty above all else. I'm shocked. I mean, to think of that long speech that Mitt Romney gave attacking Donald Trump, to think of all the attacks that Ted Cruz threw. And then, hey, guys, don't forget, Donald Trump attacked both of these men. Right. So Very is it really yeah. possible they could come and be a part of his cabinet? And the kicker, could they look at Donald Trump as their boss? Yeah. I, I just don't know. And Shush. What, I mean, you remember that actually during the after uh, Mitt Romney went after Donald Trump, Donald Trump actually said that his Gucci store, the Gucci store that Mitt Romney will have to walk by to get into Trump Tower, <laughs> was worth more than Mitt Romney. So um, it's going to be quite extraordinary if he does end up in the in the cabinet. And one point we should make, though, is that them saying they are considering appointments doesn't mean that it could Definitely. flow the other direction. Right. And, and it's very possible to think Mitt Romney – under consideration for Secretary of State? Sure. Anyone can be under consideration. That doesn't mean he takes the job. Um, if they, or would want to work for or, Donald or, Trump, as you mentioned. Absolutely. Or would want to be Secretary of State under, under Donald Trump. But it, it seems like the message that he's trying to get out, despite the purge, despite the, the message he sent out, particularly by Kelly Ayotte, who was very critical of him before and saying, you know, I don't want him anywhere near this or her mm-hmm. anywhere near this administration, is there's a time for inclusiveness. There's a time for the mm-hmm. Republican Party looking more broadly. The, the golden doors of Trump Tower are open and we've obviously seen a lot of people walk through them this week. It is going to be a very interesting transition period for sure. I, I think that's right. I think, I think John got that one right. It is, and you can watch it, you can watch it on a live feed, which is, makes it right. all, all, all the weirder. All right, that does it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. Please take a moment to rate the show. Write us a review right on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, because that helps other people discover the show, and it's an awesome show. You guys know that. Even when John Carl isn't here, we can still bring it. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Rick Klein. Shush is at... Shush Walsh. Uh, Santucci here is at JT Santucci. Uh, Don't forget, you can find all the ABC News podcasts by going to abcnewspodcast.com. Today's show produced by Robin Gratison, David Rind, and Michelle Bancardo. For ABC's Shoshana Walsh and John Santucci, I am Rick Klein, and thank you for listening. (laughs) 